Our reading for today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 21 to 35. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he had and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for, revel for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. Welcome everyone to our Sunday service once again. Um, before I begin, I just want to thank everyone who sent in a selfie this week. Uh, I want you to know that I was just the collector and the calendar itself uh, is being designed uh, by uh, Carmina so that it will look good, so that my uh, hand is not on it. Um, so please thank her uh, when you see it and, and when you get it. Today, as uh, Pastor Dohi mentioned, is the first Sunday of the Advent season. And as she shared, Advent is the season of Christ's coming. And so for us, it is a time of waiting with anticipation and getting ready or getting prepared for that coming. So in this season, we remember Jesus's first coming when we celebrate Christmas, but we also anticipate and prepare for his return at the end of the age. It's a time for us to remember that God has acted decisively in love, in Jesus Christ, in the past, that God continues to act toward us with mercy and grace in the present, and that history will be fulfilled with the return of Christ in the future. And while the country is waiting for the new year to begin on January 1st, we can enter into a new season to a new time with expectant hearts today perhaps more so than in previous years, the season of Advent and waiting may seem especially appropriate for us to consider together. Let's pray together. God, we thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for this time, and we thank you for the season of Advent. Help us to look to you, to wait 
with anticipation and to ready ourselves for your coming and your coming again. And now help us to hear your words and in the hearing, help us to be comforted, to be challenged, to be obedient to your good and perfect will. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So back in Jesus's day, CPR had to be performed on the life of every newborn baby, every newborn baby boy. Not cardiopulmonary resuscitation, but the rituals of circumcision, purification, and redemption. The first ritual of circumcision was done on the eighth day after birth as a sign of the covenant first given to Abraham. The second ritual of purification required that the mother, 40 days after giving birth to a son, had to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. If, however, the family could not afford a lamb, which seems to be the case with Mary and Joseph, then the law allowed them to bring an extra bird instead. And the third ritual, which is not explicitly mentioned in our reading, but implied in that this family did what was customary, refers to the rite of redemption. 30 days after the birth, every firstborn male had to be uh, brought to the temple and redeemed in a rite of redemption. They had to be symbolically redeemed because every life belonged to God and everyone paid a small sum of five shekels to signify the equal value of every life. And often these uh, last two, purification and redemption, were done uh, during the same visit. And so that's why Mary and Joseph are at the temple. They're there to complete these three rituals of CPR as required by the law of Moses. They are living out their faith, much like why we are gathered here together today. Do you remember what it was like to actually go to church? Do you remember the bodies you'd hug, the hands you'd shake, the faces and the smiles you'd see? Remember the sound of communion bread breaking in your mouth and the smell of food in the fellowship hall? Remember the noises of the congregation where everyone would be talking at once and not just one at a time unmuting themselves like on Zoom? Remember how good it was and how much more noiseful it was when we gather together in person. Imagine what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph that day. Large crowds of worshipers and pilgrims would be there, of course, but so would money changers, beggars, and merchants of animal sacrifices, all shouting and competing for attention. Priests, Levites, and other temple clergy would be performing their various duties while scholars and seminary students would be debating and discussing minute points of theology. And perhaps most loudly, there would be the noise, the incessant noise of animals and the overwhelming smell of blood as thousands upon thousands of animals would be sacrificed. It was not a well-ordered Presbyterian service that day. It was probably closer to being at the mall for a Black Friday sale when people used to go to the mall before the internet and before COVID. 
Let me remind you that Joseph and Mary are probably teenagers and that they are first-time parents. Remember what it was like to be a first-time parent? Do you remember what it was like to be a teenager? It must have been all a little bit overwhelming. And in all that chaos, along comes a stranger named Simeon who takes the baby and offers some words of blessing. So who is this Simeon and what do we know about him? First, Simeon is described as righteous and devout. He understood himself as a servant of God. He did what was right before God in the observance of the law. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the baptizer, are described in a similar fashion. As they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Luke is showing us that as the old covenant is coming to a close, you had people, notably and symbolically elderly people, who still kept the true faith. Second, Simeon is described as waiting for the consolation of Israel. The comfort of Israel might be a better and more familiar translation. He's waiting for the fulfillment of the words, like in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. He's been waiting for God's deliverance and God's deliverer. And third, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And the Spirit led him into the temple at just the precise moment among all that crowd to meet Jesus. The Spirit led Simeon to Christ, just as the Spirit leads all of us today to Christ. I think we can see in Simeon someone who is doing his best to be righteous and devout, to follow God's commands, worshiping at the temple, yet who at the same time has been given the gift and guidance of the Holy Spirit by grace. Faith and works in combination led him to this moment. It doesn't say, but I imagine that for Simeon, it must have been a lifetime of waiting. He trusted the day would come when God would reveal the Savior to him as had been promised. But with each passing day, it must have been more difficult to believe. Each time he came to the temple, he wondered, is this the day? And with each passing year, as his body ached a little more, and as his eyesight grew a little dimmer, he prayed, Lord, will you answer me today? I doubt any of you are actively waiting for the consolation of Israel. But the Advent season is a good time for us to ask, what is it that I'm waiting for? What is it that you are waiting for? We all know what it's like to wait. As a church, we're all waiting for the day when we can gather together for in-person worship again. If you're a student, 
You might be waiting for the end of the marking period or for the finals and semester to come to an end. If you're a parent, you might be waiting for the day when your children can return to school or to daycare or to campus. If you watch the news, it may feel like the world has largely given up on containing the COVID virus and we're all just waiting for a vaccine to return us to some semblance of normal. Various surveys and studies reveal that we spend a ridiculous amount of time waiting in line, such as the doctor's office or at Trader Joe's. We wait on hold with customer service. We wait in our cars for traffic to move. We wait for ads and commercials to be over to watch our shows or to play our games. We wait decades for our favorite team to win the Super Bowl. And we wait for a full day or sometimes two whole days for our Amazon packages to arrive on our porches. For children and for some adults, Advent is a time of waiting, a brief waiting, I would say, before Christmas and Christmas presents. I can remember as a kid wanting a particular toy for Christmas and knowing that someone had gotten it for me and having to wait the month after Thanksgiving before I could open that gift. It felt like forever, but I knew exactly when the wait would be over. And as hard as it might be to wait for a child, it's a far easier kind of waiting than not knowing when the wait will be over or if the waiting will ever be over. I know that some of you may still be waiting for your life to change, for a job, for a grief to go away, for a prayer to be answered, for joy to return, for forgiveness and reconciliation, for medical test results, for clarity about a big decision you're facing, for meaning, for purpose, or for lasting healing. What is it that you're waiting for in this season? Is it merely for the year just to be over and move on to 2021? Is it just a gift that you will enjoy and give you momentary pleasure at Christmas? Or is there something that will bring you enduring joy and satisfaction? Like Simeon, is there something eternal that you are waiting for? Are you waiting, as in 2 Peter 3, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells? Are you waiting, as it says in Romans 8, eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies? More importantly, are you waiting for Jesus? Are you waiting, as in 1 Corinthians 1, for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, or as in 1 Thessalonians 1, for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come? And as in Titus 2, are you waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Rather than things, are you waiting for Jesus, for his coming and his coming again in glory? For Simeon, when the promise is finally fulfilled, it must have been as a surprise. He was promised that he would see the Lord's Christ, God's anointed, the Messiah. He probably thought he would see a warrior or a politician 
or at least an adult rabbi. But instead, he sees an ordinary baby. Just a baby. And yet, whatever disappointment or surprise he may have felt, they're all washed away in that moment with an overwhelming sense of peace, of shalom, of well-being, and satisfaction. It says in Luke 2, 28, Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Notice that Simeon first blesses God. His first words of blessing are directed at God. It's praise and thanksgiving to God. Pastor Danny shared in this week's Wednesday Word the importance of giving thanks. His insight was that thanksgiving alone reflects that I enjoy and appreciate the gift, but when thanksgiving is coupled with praise, it expresses that I love and cherish the giver more than the gift. I think that's what Simeon is doing. He's thankful for the gift of salvation for the whole world. I mean, that is a pretty awesome gift to be thankful for, certainly. But he first blesses God. He praises God because of God's faithfulness to him. This week, I've been um, looking at a painting that Rembrandt painted of this moment in Simeon's life when he was just 25 years old. Can you imagine painting something like this when you're just 25? It's an incredibly detailed painting and Rembrandt's mastery of light and shadow are on full display as he forces our eyes to the center of the painting by casting as it were a spotlight on Mary and Simeon and the baby Jesus. Simeon looks heavenward with an expression of awe and thankfulness as he holds the infant Jesus. But everyone's attention, including ours, are drawn to the light and to Jesus. The light illuminates Jesus, or perhaps light emanates from Jesus, because Jesus, as Simeon discovered, is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people, Israel. Wouldn't it be great if your life were like this painting, if God shone a light on you whenever God wanted to tell you something important. But the day Simeon met Jesus, there was no sign indicating that this child is God's savior. As powerful as this painting is, there was no light spotlighting this family. There was no halo around Jesus to point him out to Simeon. Jesus and his parents looked like an ordinary, ordinary, forgettable family who couldn't even afford a lamb for the sacrifice. As the Gospel of John reminds us, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The only reason Simeon recognized Jesus is because the Spirit led him. In the chaos and among the crowds, he was open to what the Spirit might show him, and he did not let his preconceived notions, his limited theology, prevent him from experiencing God's greater promise. You and I have all the promises of God in the same way in the Scriptures. 
But unless the Spirit leads us, we too will not be able to see those spiritual truths. We will not be able to see Jesus because it is the Spirit who leads us to Him. So this season of Advent is a reminder for us to listen more carefully to the nudgings of the Holy Spirit, whether through God's Word or through prayer and worship or through family and friends or perhaps through a stranger, someone we haven't met yet, like Simeon. Ask God that you might recognize the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit with an attitude of obedient attention. We don't know what Simeon had in mind in waiting for the consolation of Israel. But isn't it interesting that though he was waiting just for the consolation of Israel, he actually saw the salvation of God for the entire world. Luke 2, 29, uh, Luke 2, 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, as well as for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon discovered that day that the consolation of Israel is much bigger than what he was waiting for. God's Messiah was not coming to defeat Israel's enemies as he and others had imagined. Rather, God had prepared salvation for all peoples. Jesus is a light of revelation for all peoples. The glory of Israel is more than just for Israel. In Jesus, Simeon saw the fulfillment of God's promises first made to Abraham in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's redemptive plans, redemptive plans were much broader and more inclusive than Simeon had imagined. But that doesn't mean that salvation is universal or automatic or free of pain and suffering. Simeon also saw that it would come at a great cost. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Not everyone will accept God's Redeemer. Jesus and his proclamation of the good news and the kingdom of God will divide people. As we've heard over the last several weeks, those who follow Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Mary herself will experience great anguish and pain. And of course, Jesus himself will suffer the most, dying on a cross for the salvation of the world. As far as we know, Simeon never witnessed Mary's suffering. He never got to hear Jesus's uh, preaching or healing or dying on the cross or to be a witness of his resurrection. As far as we know, Simeon gets just this one glimpse of Jesus. And yet, it is enough for him. He sees that in Jesus, God will bring salvation to the whole world. And it is enough for him to trust God's word to him, even though he won't get to see the rest of the story. 
In Jesus Christ, he saw the dawning of a new age more glorious than what he had thought, than what he had been taught. I mentioned that Rembrandt painted this scene as a young man when he was just 25 years old. 38 years later, in the final year of his life, in one of his very last works that he left unfinished, Rembrandt returned to the subject of Simeon. This last work is quite different from his earlier work. Gone are the curious crowds. Gone are the sharp, confident, detailed, fine strokes of his earlier masterwork. All the majesty of the temple architecture and all the artistic virtuosity he displayed are all gone. Instead, it's just Simeon holding the Christ child. Simeon's hands look like they are in prayer. And though Mary stands behind looking on, Simeon ignores her. All has been stripped away. His earlier ornate and flowing robe has been replaced by a nondescript and unadorned covering. And instead of looking heavenward with eyes open wide, bathed in radiant holy light, Simeon's eyes are now nearly closed and his gaze is directed toward the child. Both are priceless masterpieces, of course, but I find the later painting much more compelling. It's simpler, more intimate, softer. It has for me the illusion as if the artist's hands were less steady and that his eyes were fading and he could no longer draw the kind of detail that he did in his earlier work and that he just simply smudged it all away. Yet even without the bright spotlight of his earlier painting, this, late, this later painting conveys a deeper warmth to me. As Rembrandt approached the end of his days, I can't help but think that he saw in himself Simeon. He no longer has the numerous ambitions of a young man of needing to prove himself, to show off his technical skills. He's no longer waiting for recognition, for fame, for wealth. Earlier, he emphasized the glory of Jesus as the light of the world. But now it seems to me he's focused on a quieter, more personal moment of the prayer. Now, let your servant depart in peace. You can see Simeon's face at peace with his mouth open, muttering this prayer. And maybe those words were on Rembrandt's own lips as he painted this last painting in his final days. I'm now closer to Rembrandt at 63 than I am to Rembrandt at 25. For some of you, 63 looks pretty distant. That's a blessing. But as the days pass, I, will, I hope you will fix your eyes on Jesus. Whatever else you're waiting for these days, I hope you will learn that Jesus is enough. And I hope that such a gaze upon Jesus in this season of waiting for Jesus brings you the peace beyond understanding so that you are always ready to depart in peace. It seems to me 
that in the end, this is what really matters. You holding on to Jesus and looking upon him in prayer. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this season. We thank you for what is coming. That it is not destruction. That it is not a curse. But that you are bringing light back into this world. And that we can wait once again for your light to shine for hope, for good news. Help us to wait for you with expectant hearts. And in our waiting, to look upon your face, you who alone, who is our peace. We ask this and pray together now the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.